Welcome to another episode of Radio Days, your golden age radio sampler, where we host a wide variety of old radio shows for your enjoyment. The Whistler was a radio show in which the Whistler was the narrator who provided the listener with a front window to a crime, then led the listener to join in on the undoing of the criminal by exposing their fatal errors. The moral? Crime never pays. Each episode opens with this famous prologue. I am the Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. The Whistler ran from May 16, 1942, till September 22, 1955, on the West Coast Regional CBS Radio Network, and they gave us 692 episodes. The show was also broadcast in Chicago and over Armed Forces Radio. On the West Coast, it was sponsored by the Signal Oil Company. Each episode of The Whistler began with the sound of footsteps and a person whistling, much like the Saint radio series with Vincent Price. Bill Foreman had the title role of The Whistler, and the cast members included Betty Lou Gerson, Harris Conrad, Joseph Kearns, Kathy Lewis, Elliot Lewis, Gerald Moore, Lorene Tuttle, and Jack Webb. You'll recognize almost every one of these names when you've listened to a few dozen different shows, and if you're good with names. For instance, Jack Webb played Joe Friday in Dragnet, and Kathy Lewis co-starred with Cary Grant in the thriller The Country Road, which we recently aired. Episode 1 is titled The Cistern, as in a water storage tank, and tells the story of a greedy young man who kills his older partner to gain control of a rich ore deposit. He hides the body in an empty water cistern in a remote part of the county and soon finds himself talking to a very smart county sheriff. The second episode is titled Lucky Night and follows a night in the lives of two older skinflint owners of a boarding house who go for a walk and find the dead body of one of their boarders in a nearby alley, a body which they promptly rob of $5,000. And now, The Whistler. The Signal Oil Program... That whistle is your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler. Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. Rated by Independent Research, the most popular program on the West Coast. Remember, let every traffic signal remind you. With new signal gasoline, you do go farther than ever. Look for the familiar big yellow and black circle sign that identifies those popular signal service stations in seven western states from Canada to Mexico. And now, the Whistler's strange story. The Cistern. There was murder on Ronnie Hartfield's mind long before he discovered the cistern in Round Valley. But the discovery more than anything else made him decide to do it. The groundwork had been laid, of course. He was a partner with old Hank Murphy in the gold-bearing ledge Hank had discovered on the shoulder of Sharp's Peak. A million dollars in rich ore. And Ronnie owned ten percent of it. That wasn't bad for a young metallurgist fresh out of college. But Ronnie wasn't the kind to think of his own 10%. No, his mind was on the other 90. And the inheritance clause in the partnership agreement. There had to be other things, of course, like the casual conversation he had one afternoon with Sheriff Dawson as they sat on the porch of the sheriff's office 
looking across the lake. But that ain't what makes the law enforcement out here so much tougher than in the city. What's the first job in a murder case, for example? Find the body. Body? Yeah. Hmm, look at that lake. Look at that, Ronnie. What? The sun on that water. (laughs) If I could move that lake to the coast, I could sell it for a million (laughs) dollars. Come around sometime during a rainstorm and I'll close the deal for ten cents. Hmm, why? She ain't a natural lake, you know. Well, we've had to move this shack twice now when the water was right up the floor level. She ain't always as pretty as she looks now, blue and calm and shiny. I don't know. I think it's worth it. You'll be a mountaineer yet, Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was I saying a while back? You were talking about law enforcement. Oh, yeah. It was this business of bodies. You can say all you want to about city police, but let me tell you they ain't in it with a county sheriff when it comes to a murder case. No. You see... Before you do anything else, you got to find the body. got to prove the guy's dead. No. That's one thing in the city, but it's something else in a place like this. No, what do you mean? Or down in Arizona, for instance, where a man's got 20,000 square miles of country to hide the body in. I see. Funny thing, though, how bodies have a way of turning up. That guy in Arizona I was telling you about. Yeah? Eight years it took us, knowing all the time he'd done it. You found it, huh? Yeah. The wind uncovered it in a dry gulch ten miles from town. Dry air has a way of preserving things. You could identify it? Sure, we hung him. But if it hadn't been for that wind... Well, it would have been something else. Sometimes it don't pay to go looking for it. If you just lean back and relax, it'll work itself out. Sometimes. Well, Ronnie, it's odd that the sheriff should have hit upon the subject of bodies. And it's a good thing he couldn't read your mind, because everything he said made you think of the cistern in Round Valley, with the bare traces of a ruined cabin more than a hundred years old nearby. You'd been exhausted the day you found it, after following a four-point buck down the length of the ridge above and losing him there in the willows. Then, as you fought your way through the brush, your foot suddenly rang hollowly on the cover of the cistern. And there it was, deep and dark, completely lost in the tangled mass of trees. No desert wind there, was there, Ronnie? Once you dropped Hank into the cistern, he'd be there for keeps. Ronnie? Ronnie? Huh? Oh, sorry, (laughs) Hank. You know what, Hank? I think Ronnie's in love. (laughs) Well, what's the matter? (laughs) I've just been talking to you for five minutes, that's all. I was thinking, I guess. Mm, Just like you, Hank. Comes into my store to buy groceries and goes to sleep by the stove. He's thinking about that hole in the ground. What? What's the matter? Marge knows all about it, mine. Oh, yeah. You picked yourself a pretty good partner, Ronnie, if that ledge is as good as Hank says it is. Even Stephen. I got myself a good metallurgist, too. What with a stamping mill to be built and all. Uh, This ain't no pick and shovel project, you know. Gonna take money. Oh, don't worry about that. We we got that all settled, ain't we, Ronnie? Soon as Mr. Coulter sees the plans Ronnie made up. Who's Mr. Coulter? Oh, fella down the city, old friend of mine. I'm going down below to see him next week. Alone? Yeah. Ronnie thinks he better stay around and look after things. Uh Uh-huh. What's the matter? Don't know about Hank alone in the city with all them saloons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on, Marge. Well, last time Hank went down for a weekend, nobody saw hide in a hair for six months. If we didn't know him better, we would have thought he was dead. <laughs> oh, my. Better keep a close tab on him, Ronnie. <laughs> You're right. I'd better. You're pretty close to the brink, aren't you, Ronnie? The sister was in your mind then, too. And it keeps returning more and more frequently until it excludes almost everything else. Particularly at night, when there's no sound but the crickets outside. And you can lie awake and think of the ledge. A million dollars or more in gold ore, almost on the surface. A tenth of it yours, according to the agreement. Unless, of course, something should happen to Hank. It would be all yours then, wouldn't it, Ronnie? A million dollars. And that kind of thinking always leads to the cistern and the willow thicket at Round Valley. 
There's no possible way they could ever discover it, is there? Finally, on the night before Hank is scheduled to leave, you make up your mind. Hank! Yeah? I just ran on to something. Uh, what? What? I want you to come with me. Well, what are you talking about? I've been up to Round Valley all day. Well, what were you doing up in that godforsaken place? I got a new outcrop, Hank. I'm sure of it. What? In Round Valley? Why, there's no gold. But there is. The... You've got to see it before you go down to the city. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. This ain't a joke, is I it? I tell you, there's gold up there. I'm serious. Look, it'll only take us about two hours. Tonight? Why, it's dark already. Listen, will you believe me? This can't wait. Okay, Ronnie, let's go. up, Ronnie. I can't see where I'm going. It's not much farther. Why didn't we come up the other ridge? I don't see no sense in cutting across this infernal willow thicket. Wait up, will you? Over this way. Where are you? Can't you see the light? No. Went out of something. Ouch. Oh, these darn trees. I can't see a thing, Ronnie. Oh, doggone it. Where's the light, Ronnie? I can't keep my feet in this brush. Ronnie. Where are you? Ronnie! Ronnie! Here I am, Hank. Oh, you... <laughs> you scared me. Here's I the brought... light, Hank. Huh? Thanks, I... Oh! oh! Now, the cistern... With the prologue of tonight's story, The Cistern, Signal Oil Company is bringing you another strange story by The Whistler. There's an old Hindu fable about the blind men and the elephant. Being unable to see an elephant, these blind men decided to feel one to determine what an elephant is like. Well, the first blind man, happening to grasp the elephant's ear, promptly exclaimed, Why, an elephant is like a large leaf. But the second blind man, wrapping his arms around one of the elephant's huge legs, protested, Oh, no, an elephant is like a tree trunk. And the third man, feeling the elephant's tail, shouted, You're both wrong. An elephant is like a rope. Well, all three were right, but only partly right. And I'm always reminded of this story when I hear a motorist say, Signal gasoline is outstanding for quicker starting. Or another say, Signal is tops for faster pickup. Or a third, say, new signal has higher anti-knock. Now, all three are right, but only partly right. For in new signal, you get all three advantages, quicker starting, faster pickup, and higher anti-knock. But in addition, there's a bonus, a bonus of extra mileage. For because of the amazing power in signal's new super fuel that helps you get this greater efficiency, this extra performance from your motor, you actually go farther than ever with new signal gasoline. And now, back to the whistler. Yes, Ronnie. It took a combination of things to put the murder of Hank Murphy in your mind. The ledge on Sharp's Peak and a million dollars in raw gold. The sheriff with his idle discussion on the importance of finding the corpus delecti. Marge's contribution about your partner's habit of disappearing for months at a stretch. But most of all, it was the cistern in the willows of Round Valley. The hiding place a thousand men could hunt for without ever coming close. That was the most important thing, wasn't it, Ronnie? And it's the thing that makes you feel absolutely secure now, on the morning after you kill him, as you walk into Marge's general store. Morning, Ronnie. Hello, Marge. Ah, uh, now, wait a minute. If you're going to ask me how I am, the answer is awful. <laughs> What's the matter? Uh, coffee, no coffee. Forgot to pick it up last night. Yeah, I missed you. Missed me? Mostly Hank. He's picked up his groceries on Tuesdays and Fridays for as long as I've been here. <laughs> well, what'll it be, a pound? Yeah, that'll do fine. Funny thing about Hank, he's an old galoot in lots of ways, but part of him is regular as clockwork. <laughs> his drinking arm, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and getting his grub for another. <laughs> Last night, when he didn't show up, I says to myself, there's something wrong somewhere. 
you say you ain't had breakfast yet? Uh, no, no. Hmm. Hank's probably cussing you out for fear, waiting for his coffee at this hour. <laughs> Drunk or sober, he gets his breakfast at 7 o'clock. What do you mean? Ain't he waiting up in the cabin? No, he's gone. Huh? Yeah, he left for town this morning. Why, he wouldn't do that. Huh, what? Go off like that without... Tell me, what time did he leave? I don't know. When I woke up, he was gone. Well, that's a funny one. He swore on a stack of Bibles he'd take a package down to my niece in Sacramento. I had a few drinks. Probably forgot. Well, where'd he get the liquor? Why, I suppose he had it in the house. He didn't have a drop in the house. He told me yesterday when he came in here and tried to buy some. We were out, too. As far as I know, there wasn't a drop in town and none come until Monday. Oh. Say, how'd he get out of town? Uh, oh, the six o'clock bus, I guess. You know, I can't help feeling there's something fishy somewhere. Huh? Why? Well, there wasn't no six o'clock bus this morning. It's still at Kramer's bar with a broken axle. Say. What? You don't suppose old Hank sprouted himself a pair of wings, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> you can't beat that old varmint. <laughs> I told you keeping a tab on him was no sin. <laughs> Funny, though, ain't it? What? About that package for my niece. Hank never done a thing like that, long as I can remember. Forgetting that away. You know, that's not like Hank at all. Well, Rami, you're not whistling now as you cross the street to the bank. You keep telling yourself that Marge is an old busybody, that the rest of the town will chuckle over Hank's unceremonious departure. There's a forced self-assurance about you as you walk up to Mr. Jenkins at the teller's window. Hello, Mr. Jenkins. Hi, Ronnie. What can I do for you this morning? Ah, uh, how about $20? Okay. All right. There you are. 10, 15, and 5 is 20. Say, what about Hank? Huh? Ain't he supposed to leave today? Oh, he left this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's funny. What's the matter? What do you use for money? Why, he had the money. No, he didn't. He came in here yesterday afternoon after three and told me he didn't have a dime. Wanted me to open up so he could draw $200 for the trip. Well, what do you know about that? He didn't pick it up either. Pick it up? I got it from just for closing and left it at the express office. Oh, now, ain't that something? You couldn't have gone down without money. Maybe, maybe that's why he borrowed a hundred from me. Huh? <laughs> that's why I came in this morning. He took all I had. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Ronnie. Are you kidding me? No, why? Hank never borrowed a dime in his life. It's kind of a legend with him. Oh, I, I suppose since I'm his partner... No, uh-huh, he... not Hank. Well... He didn't have much choice leaving this morning. I told him the money would be waiting at the express office. Hmm. Ain't that one for the book. Never heard tell of Hank Boring. Just not like him, that's all. You're beginning to thank your lucky stars for the cistern, aren't you, Ronnie? During the next few days, the town's curiosity about Hank doesn't die down. It changes first into wonderment, then into genuine worry. There's a feeling in the air that something is wrong. It hangs over the town like a cloud. And as the days go by, you begin to notice the conversation suddenly hushed as you approach. The penetrating, curious glances. The feeling of terrible doubt. Then, just a week after Hank's disappearance, you come home to the cabin to find the sheriff waiting for you. Hello? Hello, Ronnie. Hello, Sheriff. What do you want? Just dropped by to say hello. Getting a mite worried about Hank. Yeah, so am I. Are you? What do you mean? Nothing. Curious, ain't it, how a man can get out of town without transportation or money? He had money. Maybe. And maybe he could have got liquored up without liquor, too. I don't know where he got that. Kind of jumpy, ain't you? Well, I'm getting sick of this talk. All, All this insinuation behind my back. Nobody's insinuating, Ronnie. We're just a mite worried, that's all. I tell you, he's probably in San Francisco right now. That's just it, he ain't. Just picked up this wire from the telegraph office. 
Take a look. Huh? Been expecting Murphy for a week. Where is he, Coulter? Whoa. He's probably in some bar down there. Yeah. What do you mean? He used to disappear for months at a time. You just don't know Hank. If there's money mixed up in it anywhere, there ain't a sober man in the country. You're crazy. Hank was a drunk and you know it. Was? Uh, I mean, he is. Hmm. Ain't it funny that you and I were talking about murder cases just the other day? Now, listen, here I am. Better see who it is. Hank Murphy live here? Yeah. They told me down at the hotel that the sheriff was up here. What do you want? Send him in, Ronnie. Come on in. You the sheriff? Yeah, what is it? I just happened to say something down at the hotel tonight, and they told me you might be interested. I was driving through here the other morning on my way to Sacramento. What morning? Friday. Okay. I picked up a guy on the road about 6 o'clock. What did he look like? Did he have on a... Just a minute, Ronnie. Tell us what he looked like, son. Oh, I'd say about 55. Kind of bald up here with gray hair and a mustache. I think he was kind of drunk. Said the bus wasn't running. Do you have a suitcase? Yeah, yeah. And I think he was wearing a black suit. I see. Six o'clock last Friday morning, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I took him down the road a ways. Let him off at the Sacramento Highway. Satisfied, Sheriff? Might be. Like I was telling you, Ronnie, sometimes it don't pay to get all worked up over these things. They have a way of solving themselves. Sometimes. Well, I better be getting home. Looks like we're in for a storm. You have a lot of time to think during the next few days, haven't you, Ronnie? With the storm pounding around your ears, forcing you to keep close to the cabin. The nervous feeling inside is almost gone now, thanks to that boy who just happened to pick up an old hitchhiker at the right moment. That was a lucky break, wasn't it? Most of the townspeople are satisfied now that Hank is off somewhere on another spree. And you finally feel it's time to call again on Mr. Jenkins at the bank. As a matter of fact, Mr. Jenkins, I'm beginning to wonder about Hank. It's been more than a week now. Yeah, it is funny. Him hitchhiking out of town that way. Listen to that. Bet we've had ten inches of rain in this storm. Lake level's up twelve feet. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me if the sheriff had to move his office again. And now, let's see, you wanted to look over the agreement between you and Hank. Yes, you see, there's a lot to be done before winter sets in. We ought to settle that business with Mr. Calder, get our materials up to the mm-hmm. site. And you're wondering if you can go ahead. Yeah. Mm. Looks as if Hank's in the driver's seat. Long as he's alive, anyway. Of course, in case of his death, you'll take a I hold. didn't mean that. All, all I meant was we're losing a lot of sure. time. Sure. I know you didn't mean that. Well, I uh, guess you got to wait till Hank shows up, Ronnie. And put this away now. Getting kind of tired looking at it. Sheriff was just in an hour ago asking the same question. What? Yeah. He wanted to know about the 10% and the 90% and who got what when who died. He got no right to stick his nose in my business. Funny about the sheriff. Seems to think this is his business now. Maybe you better go see him. That's a good idea. Well, Ronnie, kind of wet for you to be running around, ain't it? That doesn't, doesn't seem to bother you, does it, Sheriff? That lake's beginning to bother me, I'll tell you. Look at her down there, 20 feet away. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, sit down in the porch here and tell me what's eating you. Let's go inside. Nothing doing. I'm going to keep an eye on that lake. Now, what's the matter? When are you going to admit you're wrong? About Hank? Yes. Well, I'll likely admit I'm wrong on the day that Hank walks up to this porch like he used to and says, Howdy, Sheriff. Have a cigar. Trouble is, that ain't never gonna happen. So I reckon I ain't never gonna admit I'm wrong. That answer your question? He left town. Didn't that kid satisfy you? No. Could have been someone else. Who? Don't know. Too bad no one had a picture of Hank. Don't you see what you're doing with your stupid guessing? They all think I killed him. Well... 
Well, what? They're right, ain't they? They're wrong, I tell you. He was gone when I woke... Now, wait a minute, Ronnie. Hank was nothing more than a hunk of clockwork. He never went off his schedule. You just didn't know him well enough. That's why I know you killed him, Ronnie. I know why, and I think I know how. But just like I told you, when it comes to finding a body, a county sheriff has a job on his hand. And, of course... We can't do nothing till we find the body. I tell you, you've got no right to Take talk... Take it easy, sir. Now, wait a minute. If you're trying to bluff me, it won't work. I ain't bluffing, Ronnie. You see, all the time you and Hank were supposed to be inside your house, having a few drinks before he took off, the house was empty, wasn't it? Because you happened to be off somewheres killing him at the time. I happen to know. Because I dropped by at 10 o'clock to deliver Marge's package. Don't worry, though. I can't do nothing until I find the body, and like I told you, that takes time. Oh, no. Eight years, that time in Arizona, but we got him the day after that windstorm. County sheriffs just got to have patience, you know. Matter, Ronnie? Nothing. Nothing. You're white as a sheet. What you looking at? Nothing, I tell you. Are you sick? I'll... I'll... It's all right. It's all wrong. Something's haywire somewhere. What are you staring at? Good Lord. Wait. Do you... Do you see it too? In the water. The edge of the lake. It's... It's Hank's body. it's not. It can't be. Come on. Let's take a look. No, no. I can't. I said come on. It is Hank. The Whistler will return in just a moment with the strange ending of tonight's story. Meantime, with reconversion occupying the spotlight today, here are some facts I think you'll be interested in. You know, of course, the vital role that independent businessmen played in the building of America. And you know that today, more and more men are expressing a desire to get into business for themselves. But did you know that my sponsor, Signal Oil Company, has for over 14 years sold its products only through independent businessmen? Substantial, responsible men who are so earnest about their business of serving the motoring public that they're willing to invest their own money in it. Naturally, signal dealers are carefully chosen for their ability and integrity which explains why the average dealer has been with Signal Oil Company over seven years. So you see, there's a good reason why you find more conscientious, experienced men operating signal stations, and why signal dealers, with an incentive to build their own business, naturally give your car more thorough service that does help it go farther. And now, back to the whistler. It's too much, isn't it, Ronnie? Too much after the tension of the past week to look down at Hank's body floating at the edge of the lake right under the rail of the sheriff's porch. Everything breaks loose at once. You're jabbering like an idiot, telling the sheriff it's impossible. Oh, don't lie to me. You found him, didn't you? You found him and brought him here. It was a plot, wasn't it? Wait a minute, Ronnie. Why did you have to drag it out? You knew it all the time. You just wanted to talk to me. Shut up. Listen, I I don't have... Shut up. That's better. Now, what in thunder are you talking about? Somebody brought him here. I put him in the cistern. Cistern? In Round Valley in the Willows. Cistern in Round Valley? There ain't no such thing. Yes, there is. In the Willows thicket that runs along the bottom. Wait a minute. Did it have a square wooden cover on it? Yeah. What's that mean? Looks like you sent Hank back to us. Special delivery, Ronnie. What? It was dry, of course, until this rainstorm. Uh, it was dry when you put him in it, wasn't it? Yeah. You see, it ain't a cistern, Ronnie. It's an underground water flume. What? A water flume. Carries the water underground from the upper lake to this one. When she overflowed up above, the water just picked up Hank and delivered him right to my door. <laughs> like I said, Ronnie, 
Sometimes it just don't pay a county sheriff to get all excited and go running over the hills. It pays to just lean back and wait. Sometimes. Monday at 9 o'clock, The Whistler will bring you another strange tale. The Whistler is broadcast for your entertainment by the marketers of Signal Gasoline and Motor Oil. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. is your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. The Signal Oil program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. I am the Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, rated by Independent Research, the most popular program on the West Coast. Remember... Let every traffic signal remind you, with new signal gasoline, you do go farther than ever. Look for the familiar big yellow and black circle sign that identifies those popular signal service stations in seven western states from Canada to Mexico. And now, the Whistler's strange story, Lucky Night. Cities are noisy, sprawling things, tentacled with streets and avenues, scarred by towers and ditches, built of shacks and mansions. They combine the beautiful and the ugly. And the people of the cities are as diverse and varied as the buildings, rich and poor, educated and ignorant, the hurrying, scuffling, pushing mob that makes a city live. They are the principles in a million stories enacted every day in the city's streets and its buildings. Here, for example, is the beginning of one story. A man running down a street in the cheap section of the city just after nightfall. He darts across a narrow street without looking. He comes to the intersection of a street and alley just as a car turns the corner. Hey, you hit him! How bad? He's dead! What are we going to do? Two. Get out of here. Drag him in that alley. Oh, yeah, but he's dead. That's hit and run driving. We ought to report. You heard me. Drag him in that alley and let's get out of here. Yes, the man lying dead in the alley marked the beginning of a story. A very important story to Mr. and Mrs. Crake, Albert and Carolyn. Two lovely people who run a boarding house a few blocks away. It's a vital story to them because it involves money. And anything that involves money is more important than life itself to Mr. and Mrs. Crake. And an 
another thing, Albert. You've got to go up and see Mr. Sedgwick right this minute because he ain't paid his rent for next week. He's a new boarder, and it's best we show him right off that we ain't going to put up with back rent. Yeah, it'd be a lot better if we could get that Mr. Sedgwick out of here. I don't like the looks of him. Besides, he burns the electric too much at night. <sighs> it's getting so too honest people ain't able to run a decent, respectable place no more. Yeah. Well, anyhow, you go right up and see that, Mr. Sedgwick. And if he ain't got the money, out he goes. I don't like the way he looks at me, Caroline. Hmm? He has got a funny way of looking at people. But that ain't got nothing to do with the rent. And you tell him... Who's there? Your star boarder, Mr. Campion. Oh, dear. Now, what does he want? Good evening, Albert. Caroline. You ain't to call us by our first names. I told you that. A friendly gesture on my part, Mr. Craig. But I didn't descend into these charming quarters of yours to discuss the amenities of nomenclature. Now, you stop that fancy talk. And don't bring that cigarette in here. Hmm? Uh, you ain't been smoking in bed now, have you? No, but it's an idea. At least the feeble glow would provide more light than the ceiling fixture. Yeah, you're complaining again, and you're getting a good room and a reasonable rent. There ain't many boarding houses in the city where you're no, getting... No, you're the... right. There aren't many boarding houses in the city where the boarders have to race home at night to make sure they can get their evening paper. Or where the owners get up at four in the morning to steal the cream off the milk. Are you calling us thieves? No, I don't think so, Mrs. Craig. I'd have to qualify that. Sneak thieves, I should say. You... Oh, no, no, stop it. Let's don't argue about it. What about the hot plate in my room? What's the matter with it? It belies its name, Mr. Craig. It is no longer a hot plate. It has become a refrigerator. You broke it. In the passage of time, sweet Caroline, mechanical and electrical appliances get out of order. But uh, we can't get parts, Mr. Campion. All right. Let's get to something else. The bedspread, for example. It has become one of the most exciting games I've ever played, to find a spot in the spread free from holes. It embarrasses me when I have guests. We can't afford a new one, Mr. Campion. <clears throat> we shall forget the bedspread and take up the subject of the ceiling fixture. That ain't broke. Well, not exactly, but it certainly is eccentric. It goes on and off, Mr. Craig, like a lighthouse. Though guaranteed to be untouched by human hands, yet it flashes ambitiously and energetically. Ah, you keep finding fault with everything. I am not alone. And now that I've registered my complaint, I shall retire to the damp chill of the crypt I occupy, and for which I pay 68 bucks a month. If you don't like it, you can get out. That, Mrs. Crake, is a line which becomes you well. Good night. Eh, young puppy... For two cents, I'd... Such extravagance. And from you, of all people. Good night. Well, I never... Albert, as soon as we can, we'll put him out. Oh, Carolyn, it might be hard to rent that room. And he does pay regular. Well... Oh, Mr. Sedgwick. Eh? You go right up there and get the money for Mr. Sedgwick. Now, Carolyn, maybe he'll bring it down. Night ain't over yet. You're scared of him. I don't like the way he looks at me. We'll both go. Huh. All right. There goes that Miss Barton turning on the water again to wash her hair. Miss Barton, you close off that water good and don't use too much. <laughs> yeah, she knows all right. Her being a day behind with her rent. Mr. Sedgwick! Your lovely knuckles, Caroline. You'll skin them. You keep quiet. Wouldn't you uh, rather I told you that Mr. Sedgwick went out? How do you know? He went out the front door some time ago. Now go away and stop pounding. I have work to do. <laughs> I'd like to slap that smart alecky Mr. Campion's face for him. Uh, uh, never mind, Caroline. Uh, uh, let's go for our walk. Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Craig, you are a remarkable couple. You do take the cream from the milk, and you do read the newspapers before the boarders get home to save a couple of pennies. And now you go for your walk. Not for exercise, though. It's to save electric light bills. Every night it's the same, down the same street, past the warehouse, over to the brewery, and along the street running through the wholesale district until you finally get sleepy and turn homeward. 
Albert, if that smart Mr. Campion tells you that he ain't using electric light in that lampy board, he's lying. Yeah, if we could just catch him at it. He's got enough light in his room. He don't need no more lamps. It's costing us money to put up with him. That's right, Albert. <sighs> money, money, we always got troubles. Uh, wait, wait a minute. That's a man laying there. Drunk, most likely. Yeah, that's right. Honest people have to slave for their money, and some no good like this drinks it up and then... I don't smell no liquor. Well, maybe I'm going to look closer. Keep away from him, Albert. Maybe it's a trap. He might be a hold-up man. Carolyn, it's Mr. Sedgwick. It is. Look. What's the matter with him? He's, he's dead. Albert. <sighs> Looks like maybe he got hit by an auto. What's that? His pocket. It's... It's stuffed with money. And him owing us rent. Hm. Look, Carolyn, it, it's, it's so much. Albert, what do you suppose... Shh, shh. Ain't nobody in sight. Uh, what are you thinking? Huh? Me? What are you thinking? Nothing, nothing. I ain't thinking nothing. Ain't nobody in sight. But uh, it'd be stealing. Ain't nobody in sight. Oh, Albert, it's... So much money. Uh, looks, uh, uh, probably he, he come by it bad. I never did like the way he looked. Like, like one of them gangsters. Yeah, he wouldn't do no good with it. And he owes us rent. Yeah. It's his kind that spend it on some chorus. Uh, you and me, we... Albert, are you going to do it? Or ain't you? Well, uh, ain't nobody watching. Ain't nobody saw him before us either. And uh, there wouldn't be no money. Albert. Carolyn, come on, come on. I got it. With the prologue of tonight's story, Lucky Night, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange story by The Whistler. If you're a Whistler fan, you've heard me say that with new Signal gasoline, you now go farther than ever. But if you've gotten the impression that drivers interested in mileage are the chief buyers of Signal gasoline... You'll be interested in a little experiment I conducted this week at a signal station asking customers why they preferred signal gasoline. An engineer in a 1942 Buick told me that new signal helped him get maximum efficiency from his motor. The driver of a 1937 Ford told me that with new signal in his tank, his tired old car actually felt young again. And a traveling salesman emphasized the importance of signal's good mileage. Now, if it seems strange to you that three drivers interested in three different qualities should all find them in the same gasoline, well, I can clear up that mystery for you in a hurry. You see, scientists, by rearranging the atoms in gasoline molecules, put amazing power into new signal gasoline. And because that power helps you get greater efficiency, extra performance from your motor, you naturally get maximum mileage. That's why, while you're enjoying its quicker starting, faster pickup, and higher anti-knock, you'll find you do go farther than ever with new signal gasoline. And now, back to the whistler. the money from Mr. Sedgwick, Albert and Carolyn. But look, isn't someone behind you? Faster, walk faster. Just a shadow, wasn't it? But you didn't know that, Mr. and Mrs. Craig. That money is heavy in your pocket, isn't it, Albert? Faster now, both of you. Hurry home to hide the money in the mattress. Yes, in the mattress with the rest of your miser's hoard. But faster again. The memory of Mr. Sedgwick lying back there is pursuing you, and you've got to get away. Faster now, faster. Carolyn, I... Lock the door. You didn't lose it, did you, Albert? No, no, I got it right here. You got to put it in the mattress with the rest well, of the... Well, welcome home. Back early, aren't you? Mr. Campion. Yes, sir. Were you expecting someone else? No, I wasn't. Hey, what have you two been doing? Running? No. Why should we be running? You might have heard the nickel I dropped upstairs. Hey, you ain't funny, Mr. Campion. I wasn't trying to be funny, Albert. Now, look, what's the matter with you two? Uh, Mr. Mr. Craig ain't feeling good. Oh, he looks a little pale around the gills. 
Someone chasing you? No, no, nobody chased us. Why'd you ask that? Well, from the way you dashed in here, I thought perhaps you'd robbed a bank or something like that. We're honest people. Mm, To a certain extent, yes. Are you calling us thieves again? I explained that once before tonight. But you two certainly do look excited. (laughs) And the only thing that could bring a flush to your careworn cheeks would be money. Perhaps left by a rich uncle? We ain't got any uncle. And that ain't no way to talk, Mr. Campion. Okay, we'll forget it. I'm going for a walk. Uh, a, a walk? Hmm? Well, sure. Why not? The ceiling fixture gave up the ghost altogether a few minutes ago. Can't work anymore. Uh, which way are you walking? Hmm? What? Does that make any difference? Well, of course not, but uh, it's, it's damp out. Yes. Uh, you might catch a chill. Huh. Your solicitude is absolutely amazing. Can this be the Crakes? The same people who all through the winter dole out heat by fractions of degrees? <laughs> you, uh, you want that light fixed, don't you? Unless I am to become a mole, light would be welcome, well, yes. Well, then you go along with Mr. Crake, Mr. Campion. Aha! What's the matter? I see. See what? Mr. Crake has... What a... have I got? Wire. Wire to repair the ceiling fixture. Oh. If I help him, it saves the electrician's fee for you. You're always poking fun at us. Oh, no, Mrs. Craig. Well, come along, Albert. You and I shall play Steinmetz to the ceiling fixture. Yeah, all right. Oh, but Mrs. Craig. Huh? I should still like to know what encounter brought you two home before sleep deadened your elfin steps and dulled those brilliant minds. Are you coming, Mr. Campion? Uh, certainly, Mr. Craig. Yeah, certainly. Albert, you better leave that package with me. Oh, I... I forgot. Package? What package? In his coat pocket. Albert, give it to me. I ain't going to leave you alone with it. Uh, Mr. Campion. Uh, yes, Albert? Uh, there's wire and stuff in the cellar. You get it yourself here. Here. Uh, here's the key to the basement. What? Wonder of wonders. The key to the Craig cellar. And shall I find vintage 1902 or perhaps the skeletons of former boarders? You, uh... You fix the light, Mr. Campion. Uh, if there's anything you need, you can buy it tomorrow. We'll pay you for it. None. Absolutely none, I am. This is the epitome of surprise. The key to the cellar, an offer of payment by the Crakes, all in one evening. You going to fix it or not? Certainly. Tomorrow may see the Crakes back in usual form. Therefore, tonight, I shall gather the golden fruits of whatever occasion this munificent uh, You're a fool. You mentioned package and there ain't none. I want to see how much is there. We could have counted it later. How do I know you wouldn't have took it some from yourself? Uh, you shut up and come on. We'll count it in our room. So you count the money, Mr. and Mrs. Crake. And how much is there? A hundred? Keep counting. Three hundred? Oh, much more. Five hundred, seven, a thousand. Keep counting. Perspiration is beading your foreheads. Your hands are damp, sticky. The bills stick to your fingers. Now you reach two thousand, three, thirty-five hundred. You're not through yet. Keep counting, counting. Your breath hot, your eyes glazed with greed. Ah, now you've finished counting. How much? Five. Five thousand dollars. <laughs> and we found it. Just found it. We went for a walk and we found it's it. It's allowed. You wake everybody. Oh, we're rich. We're rich. Who's, Who's there? Campion. Is anything wrong? Uh, no, no. There's nothing the matter. But I thought I heard Mrs. Craig. Uh, did you fix the light? Oh, yes. Here's the key to the cellar. Well, uh, put it under the door. Put it under the door. Shh. Uh, just uh, shove it under. Okay. But uh, are you sure there's nothing... Uh, just go to bed, Mr. Campion. I'm going out for a walk. If anyone calls, I'll be back in a half hour. Albert, he can't go. Maybe he'll go the way we did and see him. Uh, did you hear me? Uh, sure, sure. I, uh, uh, Mr. Campion. Yes? It's, uh, it's awful chilly out. If you'll observe closely, I'm the possessor of an overcoat. A serviceable Benny, would uh, you? Uh, wouldn't you like a nice cup of, uh, of tea? I, I beg your pardon. You like tea, don't you, Mr. Campion? I don't understand. And tomorrow we'll have a new hot plate for you. Yeah, yeah maybe we can pick up one secondhand. Mr. and Mrs. Craig, 
take a close look at me. My name is Campion. I've been living here for six months, during which time you must have seen that I am not affluent in any way. I have no influence with the governor. I know no politicians or statesmen. What little money I have, I spend for bare necessities. In short, Albert, Caroline, why are you spreading this soft soap with such a lavish hand? <laughs> We're willing to let bygones be bygones. Oh? Well, thanks very much for the offer of tea. But I shall take a walk just the same. He'll go the way we did. I know he will. Forget it. Close the door. Well, what if he does find him? All he'll see is that Sedgwick laying in the alley. We didn't kill him. Anybody could see it was Otto that done it. Campion can't know about the money. Cedric was only here two days. But we gotta hide it in case. Uh, in the mattress, with the rest. We ain't got time. What if Mr. Campion does know about the money? What if he sees Mr. Sedgwick and comes back here? We ain't got time to open the mattress and close it again. Well, then what do we do? Put it in the fireplace until tomorrow morning. Then what? When the bank's open, you go clear over to the outer side of town. If it's a nice day, you can walk. Uh, change one of the big bills into littler ones. Yeah, you're crazy. What good's that gonna do? You'll see. Now listen. Then go to another bank and put the littler bills in a bank account. We ain't got none. You can open one. Uh, maybe do the same thing for a week until all the money is out of here. Ain't nobody knows us on the other side of town. Yeah. Yeah, I see. <laughs> well, that's a good idea. And then, uh, when we're good and sure nobody else knows about the money, we can take it out of the banks and bring it back here. See? Yes. <laughs> well, that's smart. That's pretty smart, Carolyn. <laughs> I bet even Mr. Smarty Pants <laughs> Campion couldn't think of nothing like that. <laughs> That's a splendid idea, Albert and Carolyn. Splendid. You hear Mr. Campion come back. Go to his room upstairs. He doesn't knock on your door. He says nothing. So you sigh with relief. But you spend a sleepless night just the same. What if he does know and guesses? Then it's morning. You leave the house, Albert. In your pocket is a hundred-dollar bill. You start for a bank across town, a bank where no one knows you. You reach the bank, give the bill to one of the tellers. He looks at you hard. Is there some suspicion in his glance? Is there, Albert? But he changes the bill, and you hurry out. You start for another bank blocks away. But before you get there, a newspaper headline catches your eye. You can't read it all, but two words make you start and turn pale. Bank robbery. You read as much as you can, but your lifelong miserliness doesn't let you spend a nickel, just five cents for that paper. Then one phrase strikes your eye. Marked money. Marked money. Now you hurry home. The other bank is forgotten. You should take a taxi, but you don't think of it, even though fives and tens are clutched in your pocket, the dampness from your hand making them a pulpy mass. Now you're home, safe. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Craig. Uh, I, I can't stop now, Mr. Campion. Okay, so you can't stop. Don't you want to know why this policeman is here? Policeman? Where? Using the phone down the hall. It seems our good friend Mr. Sedgwick has some shady dealings. Sedgwick? Yes, you see, there was a little incident. Well, I, I got to go to Carolyn. I, I went out to get some medicine. I'll, uh... Oh, the law will wait, Mr. Craig. The law will wait. Carolyn! Carolyn! Is, is the policeman gone, Albert? No, he ain't. I saw him coming down the street while I was looking out the window for you. Why was you gone so long, Albert? Oh, never mind that. He what? came up the stairs and he rang the bell. Uh, I couldn't answer the door. I just couldn't, Albert. So I pretended I wasn't here. Uh, then Mr. Campion came down and knocked on our door. Did he hear you? He know you was here? I must have made some kind of noise because he talked to me. I didn't say nothing. Then I heard the policeman and Mr. Campion talking. You tell me what they were saying. I couldn't hear it good. I put my ear against the door, but I couldn't hear nothing but low talk. Uh, and that's what it's for. That's what it's for. What are you saying? Where's the rest of the money? Still in the fireplace. Are they going to arrest us, Albert? Are they going to arrest us for taking money from Mr. Sedgwick? The paper said it was marked. Oh. The bandits took marked money from the bank. The serial numbers was all wrote down. Now, we got it. That Mr. Sedgwick was a crook. We got to give it back. Yeah, you're crazy. Then we, we, we got to tell him we stole it off Sedgwick. We got to get rid of the money. Albert, what are you doing? Burning it. Oh, no, Albert. Let go of my arm. 
That's that fellow at the bank. He looked funny at me. It took me 20 minutes to get back here. He told the police before I got back. You burned it! Burned it! You shut up! I saw it! Burned it! Now shut up! Oh! Albert, you didn't have to hit me. You didn't have to hit me. Shh, shh, shh. That's a police. Shh, shh, shh. Quiet, quiet. That's a policeman. Now you go keep him away. The money's nearly gone. Then, then he can come in. Go ahead now. Go ahead. Don't stand there like a fish. Go ahead. Who? Who is it? Campion with a stout minion of the law name of... His name is McCarthy. Just a couple of seconds more. Just a couple of seconds. I, uh, I ain't dressed. Oh, come, come, Mrs. Craig. It's after ten. You were up early this morning. I heard you. It's done, Carolyn. You can let him in. Well, Albert and Carolyn, it was just too good to be true, wasn't it? You thought it was your lucky night that your good friend Mr. Sedgwick, lying dead in the alley, would turn out to be a profitable investment after all. But there were too many things you didn't know, too many strings attached to that $5,000. That's why you're relieved now as you watch the last of it smolder in the grate after admitting Officer McCarthy and Mr. Campion. What's that, officer? What about Mr. Sedgwick? Well, when we found his body lying there in the alley, we had to find out where he was staying. That's why I'm here. You say he's been living here? Only for two days. Well, we didn't know nothing about him. Sure, or no honest folks would. Him with a record a yard long and more aliases than you can shake a stick at. Uh, as soon as I read about the bank robbery, I said to Carolyn, that Sedgwick is the kind of a man who looks like a robber. Sedgwick? Robber? Is that right, McCarthy? Lord, no. Small stuff with Sedgwick's line. Sneak thieving. The bank robbery's been cleared up and all the money's recovered. No, that's not right. It's in all the morning papers. The Crakes never buy newspapers, McCarthy. Papers cost a nickel. But I read, I saw... Uh, Did you read the paper? Well, I couldn't read it all, only what I could see. A typical Crake action. Peek over and read as much as possible on the newsstand or over a shoulder. But Sedgwick, he he had $5,000. He... Five thousand... How do you know? He had it. We know. Not a penny on him when we found him. Oh, oh. That night you came in, excited. Out of breath. Oh, no, I can't believe... Oh, no, this is too much. McCarthy. Sedgwick was a sneak thief. He was. Albert. Uh. Caroline. Uh-huh. Did you keep money in your room here? Did you? Oh, the mattress! It's been split open. You! You burned our own money, you fool! You burned our own money! What's she talking about? Briefly, McCarthy, poetic justice. Next Monday at 9 o'clock, The Whistler will bring you another strange tale. The Whistler is broadcast for your entertainment by the marketers of Signal Gasoline and Motor Oil and fine quality automotive accessories, and by your neighborhood Signal dealer. This program produced by George W. Allen with tonight's story by Russell Hughes, music by Wilbur Hatch, is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. This is Marvin Miller speaking, reminding you to look for those familiar yellow and black circle signs that identify those popular Signal Oil stations in seven western states from Canada to Mexico. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for joining us at Radio Days. If you'd like to hear more episodes, leave us a review at iTunes or email us at 1001storiespodcast at gmail.com. We'll leave the link in the show notes for you. And you'll also find links to our other 1001 network shows, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories and Mysteries, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, 
and 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.